Wait for it. Wait for it. And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our scientific science fiction passion, sometimes scientific, and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king. The sky is the limit and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, uh, Mr. Peter Stanley, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Yeah, hi, my name is Peter uh, Stanley. Uh, actually, my real name is Piotr Mirzejewski, but I figured that um, with such a mouthful and uh, 12 letters in my surname, Peter Stanley would probably be a much easier thing to swallow. Um, I am a science fiction writer in New Zealand. Um, so if you want to know where New Zealand is, um, I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen the likes of uh, The Lord of the Rings and Hobbitville and all those wonderful places. Yeah, that's where I am. Um, now, just to reassure you, I am much taller than Hobbit, but um, not as tall as an ogre. Uh, uh, I write military science fiction and um, currently um, have my first book out uh, through Three Raven Publishing called Dragoon First Strike, which is the first in a series. Okay, so what you don't know is we were actually supposed to be on the podcast about a half hour ago, but Nick's got staying power and the cover had him so happy he needed a moment to himself, but we are back, everything is good. Uh, the cover is glorious. Nick has no shame in his game. That's not the way they roll with the Ranger Bats. No, uh, sir. Uh, we, are you okay showing the, the Border Patrol picture to, for the side-by-side -side comparison to the cover? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let me bring that back up. So I'm going to show you the cover real quick, a little earlier than we normally would. Wait. Uh, add to the stream. There we go. So this is the cover. It's glorious. I love the art. The guy looks so happy. You, clearly, he's not infantry because they were never happy. <laughs> okay. Usually not. You, you you ever see a smiling somebody? Okay, and now we're switching to the picture of Nick. And sometimes I think, uh, all right, you're in control of the pictures now, Nick. Uh, sometimes I wonder if they spied on you, Nick. Got to read. Uh, they your might have. <laughs> um, a buddy, but they only they never spied on my military stuff. It's always like my law enforcement side. So there's a poster, like a watercolor poster of like everybody within Customs and Border Protection. And there's a guy on there with back in the days when I was rocking the mustache um, with the boat uniform on. Yeah, the, even the right rifle, like the one I'm holding right there, the uh, the um, 40. And uh, my buddy was at one of these uh, federal law enforcement training centers. And he's like, hey, man, this guy looks familiar. I'm like, holy crap, it looks like me. And it's like it wasn't artwork I did. It's just like someone submitted a picture and made artwork out of it. So mm -hmm. that's cool. Uh, they got all the, the fancy gear. We didn't get that in the uh, in the basic bitch infantry units I was in. Yeah. Yeah, they seem to skip on that. Yeah, sometimes we could get like Gatorade instant powder mix that never mixes, by the way. It's always gritty water when you make it. But only if we stole extra packs. I mean, liberated extra packs from the downy facility. Oh, the best is when the uh, the granules wouldn't sink to the bottom. They'd float on the top, kind of like the head of a beer. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. Like it, it, so won't, that it won't mix, and it just stays on top of the water, so you get a little crunchy in your drink. <laughs> Gritty in your teeth. And you don't know if yeah. that's the, the mix from the drink or just the sand. 
50 50. It was. And there's there's that old expression. There are no. There's only one thief in the military. Everyone else is just trying to get their stuff back. That was kind of our approach to when we liberated gear <laughs> from their stuff oh, yeah. from the deep. Well, the, the Marines have a saying for that. It's called gear adrift is a gift. I learned that one because uh, my squad leader, well, he was technically the alpha fire team leader, but when the squad leader got booted, he uh, he took over. And that was one thing he always said. He joined the Army National Guard because he his Marine unit was supposed to get deployed. I'm like, they're never going to send a guard to this uh, this Iraq thing. This was 03. And then, of course, 13 days, <laughs> 13 days later, after he reported, we got our mobilization orders. I'm like, you could have just stayed with your brothers over there in the uh, crown land. But yeah. anyway, they're, they're a different breed, the Marine infantry guys. Uh, yeah. Good to know. They, they yeah. do things a little bit differently. Good. That's, that's good to know because I'm thinking of using U.S. Marines in my next story. Uh, it just never for U.S. Marines, technically, grammatically, um, you should use the lowercase m. But you ever do that, you're going to get, like, blown up with all the hate mails. Like, no, it's supposed to be a capital M. I'm like, good day to you too, sir. Chicago Manual of Style says otherwise. <laughs> I don't fight that battle, though, because I want my books to sell, so I just capitalize it. I surrendered on I'm that field. Yeah, I'm always shocked when they make that uh, that argument because I didn't know they could read. <laughs> oh, touche, touche. All right, so um, obviously you weren't always an author, so we're going to take that glorious cover. We're going to come back to that. So so remember that look, people, because it is glorious. I really like that art. Uh, his illustrator has done some work for me too, uh, J.F. Posthumous. Um, yes. Over at Three Ravens. She did the zombie cover for us, Nick, uh, the one that you got the story in. Oh uh, yeah, fantastic work. She's got Obviously. skills, um, but so Man, you skills. you obviously weren't always a science fiction writer. So how did you discover the genre that is like science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction? Like how did you come to be a fan of all the things? Me, um, I've I've been a voracious reader since I was knee high to a grasshopper, and um, for me it was a form of escape. In a sense, um, growing up, a lot of my friends were uh, going to the likes of the Army Cadets and Scouts and things like that. Um, <laughs> and um, and obviously, you know, with my lived experience, um, being addicted to wheelchairs or having a disability, uh, I couldn't do all those things, no matter how much I actually tried. Uh, so I figured, you know what, if I can't join the military or the Army Cadets, I'm just going to just write. Um, and I started writing predominantly just little, I don't know, little short stories that went nowhere. Uh, and then my English teacher said, read this. And uh, so I started reading the likes of um, Isaac Asimov, uh, Heinlein, you know, the the old school uh, science fiction. So I just fell in love with that. And uh, and then one day when I was at university, I was kind of bored and I had time on my hands and I said, I'm going to see if I can write a story. So that's when it started. And, um, and then, and then here we are. So, I appreciate your sense of humor, the addicted to the wheelchair. Um, 
as someone who's got some some mobility issues on my end as well, who knew getting blown up a, a bunch of times was bad for your health. Uh, they didn't put that in the recruiting poster for some reason. Um, no, but so, it was in a uh, NWA song in the eighties. But they used like, shotgun shells were bad for your health. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, luckily I didn't get shot with a shotgun. They only shot me in the chest with the AK. But my bulletproof jacket did that. Well, flak jacket, whatever you want to call it. Bulletproof jacket sounds more punk though, so that's what I call it now. Because I'm hip. Oh, like should definitely have spikes on the collar. Or on Absolutely, the- I should have. I wasn't brave enough to buck the system that much. I mean, I, I pushed boundaries, but not that far. I wasn't like the Ranger Bat, where you could do whatever you wanted. Oh no, we still had regulations. Yeah, it wasn't as bad Very as you saw that Marine unit in Generation Kill. The mustaches. Um, we didn't have any of those. We did deal with the Puerto Rican National Guard unit, who Sergeant Major was trying to like critique my people's on knowing like the soldier creed and the NCO creed when I wanted them to know the tactics and that the rifle was clean. That's kind of a little bit more important at that time. Um, so they, they did exist. I just didn't have to serve with them. But, uh, but so when I got back, you know, I, with the brain injury, I had to use a cane for a while. And uh, so it's definitely an adjustment. And I, what's one of the things they tell you is a sense of humor will save you from yourself. So yes, I, I, I laughed when you said that. Uh, I remember the the VA canes are like clunky and it's like a, a golden metallic look with these really ugly brown handles. And I remember as I was leaving the clinic at Walter Reed that day, there was this guy that was one of the second class with Tuskegee Airmen. He was one of those pilots and he was a greeter at Walter Reed that day. And he's like, son, if you got to get a cane, get a pimp cane. And you have to picture it. He's wearing like a purple suit with like the black pinstripes that look like out of the 1920s and he's got the is it a fedora the the hat with the brim i'm not up on fashion clearly uh but it was it was something else yeah it was it was something else and so that was when i learned humor will carry you a long way i never did get my pimp cane i really should fix that don't worry i'll take care of it for uh christmas all right, perfect, perfect. I wanted to get one of the canes like he had that had the sword in it because he showed me, but apparently some states call that concealed weapons and they get real finicky. Ah, stupid laws. Ruining our fun. Mm. <laughs> so um, speaking of, so do you have trouble? Because you're, you know, in the New Zealand, it's not as much of a gun culture as America. Nope. So you do you have trouble getting access to some of that equipment to give you the kind of knowledge to write about it so well? Um, I'm, I guess I'm very lucky in the sense that uh, I have done a lot of research um, and also asking questions, ran, you know, random people. I had uh, once upon a time, I had a neighbor who was in the New Zealand Army for a while. I have I've have friends in the military. I have my cousin, uh, cousins in the Polish military as well. So, and of course, you know, uh, people like uh, Hillbilly, you know, who served in the military as well. So, there's a lot of people who are quite happy to talk if you just let them talk. And sometimes all you have to do is just say, Hey, um, what do you think about this scene? And they're like, Ah, oh, actually, this is real crap. So, this is how it's done. <laughs> and they're like, Cool. Tell me more. <laughs> so, You've got to be careful because I, I know a lot of people will say they'll go online and just look. Uh, and sometimes people will do it wrong in the movies. The best way I'm told to get the true uh, answers to questions is just to ask, create one account to ask the question 
and then another account to answer the intentional wrong answer. And people won't want to help you, but they'll jump out of the woodworks to critique the guy that got it wrong. And you'll get all the answers you need. I'm told that's the yeah. trick. Yeah. The, um, and also, you know, I mean, I, um, I was also very lucky. Uh, I rang the New Zealand uh, military uh, with their, their PR public relations. And I said, I'm writing this really awesome book about um, alien invading New Zealand where Auckland gets destroyed and about 60% of the New Zealand military gets destroyed. Can I talk to somebody about how the rest will survive? And they're like, uh, okay. <laughs> so and now I, you're on a government watch list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then um, they actually gave me um, contact details to this uh, colonel who was a uh, uh, experienced cavalry officer and, you know, armor and all that stuff. And we started talking and he was like, this is so cool. Tell me more about your story and uh, let's talk and talk tactics. So, eh, phenomenal. I actually, so in the first novel I wrote, I actually started thinking about what squad infantry tactics would look like in three-dimensional space if you're like fighting in actual zero grav. And so sometimes you just got to get the old timers who spent lots of time running those schools, give them a coffee, a beer, whatever their drink of choice is, and they will give you all the answers you never knew you needed to ask. Yep, pretty much. Those are things we used to talk about like in the squad bay or well, just pretty much anywhere we had downtime, what little we had. You're like, hey, man. How would a linear ambush look in zero grav? I'm like, oh my god, that's a good one, Stevenson. I haven't thought about that one. You know, <laughs> didn't we? We talk about it for like hours, and because everyone's got to one up another, you know, because we're grunts. Like, oh, it'd probably look like this. It'd probably be like a sphere. It'd probably look like this. Somebody would have the death blossom on, you know. <laughs> Just ask a bored grunt, and they'll tell. They'll, they'll sit and think about it for a little bit. Probably throw in a throwing a lip of Copenhagen and be like, you know what? Here's how I see it. And yeah. Or just say what something completely wrong in the internet and then everybody else will come and correct you. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things we did, but you got to recognize that's the other thing when you're asking military people for advice, you have to act, recognize not just what they did, but when and where, because experiences vary over time in, in geography. So yep. someone who served in the cold war army's experience is going to be entirely different than someone that served in the GWAT global war on terror. Uh, versus someone who served garrison versus field. Because we got away with stuff in Iraq that if we did that in the garrison environment, we'd be in Leavenworth still making big rocks into little rocks. Uh, so it's just, yeah. you know, some, sometimes you have to know like what, where their advice is coming from. Because um, I've ran into that with people that served during the Cold War uh, that don't understand that the micromanagement that you did in the 1980s does not work in the 2000s because quite frankly when you're at war you don't have time to like hold somebody's hand you need them to be able to do your job their job and the job of your boss because people die yep. so it's it's definitely a um a fun thought exercise um did you uh did you get any pushback when you were doing your your studying me Not yeah um the, the only pushback that um i got was the alien um when i tried to explain the aliens to to them they were like well, wait a minute they're aliens like yes well what do you mean they saved the tooth tigers well yeah they saved the tooth tigers with technology yes but <laughs> but 
But <laughs> Nick's already drawing that comic book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, wait a minute, but they, they don't have a possible thumb. It's like, yeah. Well, how, how are they going to fix stuff? It's like, well, no, they don't fix stuff. They, they, this is like a multi-generational fleet that kind of made their way to New Zealand. They came across all these radio signals and I thought, oh, easy pickings. So they just simply were desperate enough and stupid enough to go to Earth and land. And yes, I might have had some successes in the first 48 hours. And then I realized, oh, shit. Then okay. I landed in, in North America where there's a lot of guns. And then they land in New Zealand when there isn't much guns. And then they land in Russia. Wow. <laughs> or Europe or whatever, you know. Um, but uh, the way that I describe my aliens is that they, they are not a united species. They just happen to be, I don't know, uh, I'm going to throw in 13 clans or big squadrons or fleets. And they operate as independent nation states. So even though they've all just threw themselves on Earth, it doesn't mean that they are coordinated. So um, the the aliens that are operating around Oceania is one group. And then you've got the other groups everywhere else, but they're not coordinated. And some people say, but why not? Why not? It's like, well, why should they be? I mean, this is not Independence Day, <laughs> you know, the, the movie you know, where everything is all nice and clean. No, the, these these guys, are, some of the aliens eventually are going to realize, you know, we actually want to survive. And so we're going to play nice with the humans instead of eat them. Well, so I how do you get around that? Oh, go ahead. Which part? The eating part or the... No, no. How do you... How do you get around the lack of opposable thumbs to do the maneuvering to build the technology, though? Read the books. Is that a spoiler? Is that a spoiler? Read the books and you find out. Okay, that's fair. We I don't mean, want spoilers. If you, if you drive through Arizona every 15 miles, you'll see a sign that says, in 200 miles, you'll see the thing, the thing, the thing. And... We get there, we pay our $2, we go inside, and it's all about aliens, mind-controlling dinosaurs, and then the dinosaurs getting smart and going after the aliens. <laughs> so I'm just saying, it's not always about the opposable thumb. Sometimes it's about the mind. Well, I'll tell you this. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, hint. Uh the, you got the saber-toothed tiger, like big beast that looked like the um, well, the, the big saber-toothed tiger from you know our prehistoric eras, um, and then there will be another little feline thing that may have opposable thoughts. That's all. That's all, I'll leave it at that. But that will be for later. Okay, that works. Now. When Nick and I write combat scenes, we have the advantage of we've worn the equipment, we've done the things, so it's not as much work on our end. How do you have like museums that you were able to access to give you some hands-on experience with with the equipment that you could at least like look no, at it physically? 
No, because if I if I try and pick up a gun, I'll drop it, and then might go okay. off and kill some people. Um, <laughs> it's generally frowned upon. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I'm. I, I have a very active imagination. Um, okay. And also, I watch a lot of videos, YouTube. I ask questions. Um, you know, like just walk, and I would I would ask, walk me through what you guys do. You know, what's involved? What's in your head? Um, and you, like I said, most most of the time is just putting myself in that situation. How would I would react? I mean, I might not be able to physically do it, but man, my brain is more than capable of imagining it. So that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, do you remember what your first like memory of science fiction, fantasy, whatever was? Was it reading those books as a kid? Did you find it on the the TV screen, like where where did you first discover the things? Where did I first discover science fiction? I think I think I discovered science fiction uh, when I was oh I don't know when I was a wee kid. But when I started seriously uh, looking at um, science fiction was in my high school years, where um, I just thought it was so cool. To be able to be like you know zero g you can do all these stunts uh without being you know confined to a wheelchair so that's you know for me that was the appeal you know uh of just being able to do more uh, and not be restricted to gravity um was, so, yeah what was it a movie or a novel or and the science uh, fiction realm that kind of brought you in? Well, that was a book. That was um it was a it was actually Starship Troopers. Okay. Uh, very first book that I actually read that I realized what it is that I'm reading was Starship Troopers. And I I read it from cover to cover and uh thought it was fantastic. I mean I loved the fact that um Rico was a Filipino. Um, I love the fact that it was just all about um, just action scenes about everything proceeding, you know, towards it and all the other philosophy and uh, just just talking about what is war, you know. Um, And after reading the book, I realized, you know, this book isn't just about... um, it's not pro-war per se. It's basically, it's talking about the little guy who is basically thought he's doing the right thing. And then he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, oh, shit. You know, here we are. Um, I'm stuck here and I need to survive and make sure my, my buddies are going to uh, live through this as, for as long as I can. Uh, and, and that just captured my imagination. And then, I started reading uh, Paul Anderson, and then um, somebody Good introduced job. me to yeah. uh, David Weber, uh, David Drake. You know the whole uh, Hammer Slammers, Slammers, you know David Drake, um, and uh, Ringo, the whole porcelain thing. So that kind of captured my imagination, and down the line. Um, I wanted to write something different and uh, because watching like Independence Day, which I thought was great, 
what a great movie. I just thought, you know what? It's a great movie, but there's one problem. Virus. I mean, how, how on earth would they, an alien species, just die like that, you know? Or even War of the Worlds, uh, which, by the way, I love the um, audio visual, uh, not audio, the, the video, the, uh, the audio book, musical thing with songs and stuff. It's my go-to place. Uh, so, yeah, that's how it started, really. And, of course, Star Trek. Okay. Uh, yeah. How disappointed were no. you in the Starship Troopers movie? I thought it was hilarious. I wasn't disappointed. It was. I mean... I, uh, I, yeah. I was First not, viewing, I was. I mean, okay, I, I thought it was a bit ridiculous how he tried to make it into... Uh, politicize it into a Nazi thing. I'm like, well, dude, seriously? It's 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 a it's it's a movie about humanity fighting bugs. Or at that, least that's it. With that, yeah. With that director, all of his movies um show the world in a in a fascist state. Yes. So yes. Like Robocop it's, it's, is like that. It's like, come on man. It's like you're projecting a little. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean if you're um, if I remember correctly, the 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 guy that did the filmography that did all that, like escaped Nazi Germany, like he grew up under that. So I think it sort of, I almost almost warped his view of the world, it like broke his brain. Yeah. Almost, it seems like Paul Van Hoven, I believe his name is. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's the director. Yeah. Um, he's a weird cat, and everything is, like even his heroes are heroes of the fascist state. So. Like Robocop was the hero of OCP, which is a fascist corporation that was involved in Metro City, which used to be Detroit. And then you like, three Rico is like, block. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Rico is like the poster child for like the Federation. Yeah. The thing that I didn't like about it was the thing that was so whitewashed. You know, I mean, um, I, I understand what, what he was trying to do, uh, trying to showcase, you know, the whole. Aryan, you know, the white man sort of thing, superiority thing. But it's like, that's not what Heinlein, want, you know, was trying to portray. And um, no. uh, so in, the, in that in regards, I, I thought it was a bit disappointing. But as a mindless movie with lots of blowing up and, you know, and mindless violence, yeah, it's great. <laughs> so I, I will say that if you would like campy B movies and you didn't know anything about Heinlein, it's a great movie and yes. it made me want to know more. And I'm like, Oh, there's a book on this. And so yeah. that's how I found Heinlein was through that movie. And if you, if Would you're you like a man, of a certain, yeah, that if you're a man of a certain age, I'm just saying that shower scene. Yeah. It, it, you know, just, just going to put that out there. That shower scene. Um, I also liked that, um, they didn't get rid of the, the gendered nature. Cause one of the things that Highline posited was that with the repetitive tasks of the, the pilots, women are actually statistically better at repetitive tasks than men. Uh, and so they, they played into that and they didn't take that out when they were sanitizing the novel for whatever the modern popular culture could stomach in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. so, I'm all for a movie where we're just out there killing bugs. Yeah. I'm just I'm saying, not, remember I'm not playing a fan of <laughs> but in the if I remember the books, didn't like we start the war when the Mormon colonists landed on Clendathu? 
Supposedly. Um, Is that just bug propaganda? We don't know. <laughs> Allegedly. Well, it's the bugs. You know, bugs always, you know, they're smarter than us. So we need to kill them. I actually had a shirt at one point in time that had uh, one of the bug unit designator, like um, air defense artillery, and it was like the bug shooting the, the stuff. Nice. To sell those on oh, yeah, the, the artillery bug. Yeah. You, you've never seen a person run so fast until you see me notice a cockroach somewhere. Because yeah. as soon as I make visual contact... Your next question is, where did Stabby go? <laughs> I don't do bugs, which is weird because I'll, you know, have lizards and snakes and dogs and cats and rats and guinea pigs, but I see. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't mind bugs and rats and any other things, but the nope noodles, snakes, nope. That's a no. That's a no go zone for me. Mm. As long so, as they I, stay contained, we're good. <laughs> I always assumed that. And, uh, you know, that's why I couldn't watch snakes on a plane. It was just like, nope, just blow the whole plane up. It's time to go. <laughs> that, that is yeah. the God saying it's time to go. That's yeah. my theory on bugs. So, all right, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. And then we're going to come back and dive deep into the world that is dragoons. Once, long ago, Jackson Rook was a war hero, raised from boyhood to pilot a mech. He fought gallantly for the rebellion against the collectivists. Now he's a criminal, a smuggler with a new mission. Steal a top-of-the-line mech and deliver it to a world so hostile, even the air will kill you. In the smuggling business, it's best to take the money and ask no questions. But when the client runs roughshod over the planet's citizens, Rook must look deep inside and see if the heart of a warrior still beats within. Gunrunner, by best-selling authors Larry Correa and John Brown. From Bane Books at BaneBooks.com. All right, hopefully that didn't jump around for everyone else, but the uh, neighbor's doing construction, so my Wi-Fi is not the best right now. Yeah. But anyway, that's the danger with underground wires when people don't call and check where they are. Just saying. Let that be a PSA to you people. Call before you dig. Uh, but anyway, so... We appreciate you sticking with us through that commercial interlude. If that book sounded appealing to you, check it out. Uh, it's at Bain Books and where everyone else buys books too, but we'll link directly to Bain because their authors get a little bit more of the, the income that way. Um, so let's uh, let's dive back in and intentionally speak about the Dragoon series. So first off, uh, it's clearly part of a series I know because it says so on the cover, but like, where did the idea for this universe come from? Well, the idea came basically, um, I wanted to write something that wasn't too American-centric in the sense that, uh, you know, I mean, like, like with Independence Day, it was all very much, uh, you always see America, you know, like whether it be New York, Los Angeles getting destroyed, uh, or whatever, and um, I figured, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you just put it south and um, showcase New Zealand? I mean, New Zealand is such a beautiful country, and uh, it would be a good opportunity just to showcase New Zealand, really. And uh, then I'm also a big fan of Japanese anime, so 
hence the uh, powered armor that the uh, dragoons uh, ride in and uh, just kind of came together and uh, I'm, I'm also a big fan of Larry Niven so you know like the uh, the Kazan uh, Human Wars series so kind of like the idea of big cats and just throw it all together and it's, it's what will happen that type so of what I really do like the art. Um, I like the little detail. Like you can see the um, the saber tooth tiger creature reflected in the goggles. I thought that was a neat touch. I, I did not catch that at first. Yeah. Uh, but I looked at it again. I was like, oh, wow, the reflections on that. That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what's uh, reflecting on the, the left side of the screen, but uh, what, what's the story of this cover art? What's the story behind this cover art? Well, um, uh, my publisher thought it would be a good idea to plast my face all over the cover. So that's supposedly me. <laughs> he said, <laughs> after reading he said, after reading the book, I could only just imagine you being the main character. So um, here we go. So that's what it was. And I basically, um, when I was writing the thing, I was always um, telling hillbilly that uh, the idea that I got was um, from my inspiration came from the likes of Command and Conquer. The, oh, I love that game. The, mm-hmm. So that's where I got the idea, you know, that was always visualized that that style for um, the good guys. And um, that's how it started with the, with the cover. Okay. Um, does anything about the cover stick out to your artistic eye there, Nick? No, there, uh, it's a, it's not very complex, which is not a bad thing. I think simple is better. Um, there's some subtleties in there. Like I said, I had to, um, do a second look to notice the tiger, even though now, now that I've seen it, I'm like, how did I miss it? But, um, I think it's really cool. The art style, um, is that AI generated art or. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's a combination. Combination of both. That's cool. I dig it. Um, yeah, and it definitely reflects like your inspiration with um, Command and Conquer because you always had that one like heroic looking dude. Yep. You know, right there talking to you. Um, yeah, it's Harvey. And what I like about the, like his helmet, it's um, it's stuff that's in play today, but there's some little nuances added to it, like the uh, the goggles and the the bridge the nose bridge shield um, yeah. underneath it. So it also looks like maybe like a, a face mask can attach to it also, or it goes over a face mask. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on with it. Yeah. When I um, when I initially um, described the the image in my head to Hillbilly, um, I said, "Look, just imagine a helicopter pilot, you know, with the whole helmet from the um, Vietnam era." Yeah. He goes, "Sweet," and here we go. And there we go. Yeah, because I've always imagined like mech pilots, like being like pilots inside an aircraft. They would have their yep. own oxygen. They would have the goggles. You know? Yep. Yeah. So is the other cover for? I mean, we've talked about this. It says book one clearly on the title, so yes. clearly more is coming. Are the yes. rest of the book covers going to be the same vein, or are we going to get to see the mech he's piloting? I don't know. 
<laughs> I, I have no, I have no idea at this moment. Um, right now, you know, book two is in Hillbilly's hands, so it's just a matter of uh, when. And but if the second book basically still has a lot, a lot of um, action uh, around the powered armor. Uh, and I'm also introducing a ground effect vessel as well, which is sort of like a combination of a powered armor carrier and that can fly across land and sea and and stuff. So um, maybe that could end up on the cover. I don't know. We'll see. So, so uh question that I always like to ask when it comes to military type books is, is it, um, how do I phrase, um, layman, <laughs> like if somebody who was never in the military sat down with mm -hmm. this book, would they be able to keep up with it? Cause I know some mil, uh, sci-fi books, it's hard to keep up with some of the military jargon when you've never been in the military. So would, well, would you say that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. Um, I haven't been in the military per se, obviously. Um, I've never served. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to uh, hear a lot of stories and things like that. So I try and incorporate that into my fiction. But generally, uh, I'm writing about people. You know, um, it's very character-driven. I've got people there who are thrown into situations where they've never expected themselves to be in. So it's, it's about the people. Um, I mean, I have a guy there who, you know, a police officer who's like, wait a second. I, I'm about to get ripped up by a bunch of aliens. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Or, um, you know, you have a guy who's, um, You should just read it, but uh, it's. <laughs> I, I, I find it it's uh, it's uh, it's very approachable. It's um, I don't I don't do gun porn per se, um, in the sense you know there's no uh, pages and pages of technical overview of how a missile looks like or the schematics or anything like that. Uh, it's about the people and what's happening around them. Okay. I, I, I'm I'm big on buying books uh, while we're sitting at the computer. So I've already texted the hubby and said, we need to add this to our collection. <laughs> Thank you. And what Madam Stabby wants, Madam Stabby gets because Nick doesn't want to die today. Um, <laughs> so how far in the future is this set? This is set um, in 2039. Okay. Um, so is this series going to follow this main character, Harvey, I think you said his name was? Yes, uh, Nathan oh. Harvey. So, yes, uh, at least next five books, he's going to be alive one way or the other. Um, might get chewed up a little bit. Notice he didn't say healthy, Nick. Did you catch that? Huh? <laughs> I said, we noticed you didn't say he was going to be healthy, just alive. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's, you know, he he's one of those people who leads from the front, and uh, so sometimes that will get into trouble. Um, but yeah, he um, he starts off as a flight lieutenant in the Royal New Zealand Air Force, and um, he will end up as like a group captain, which will be the equivalent of a colonel and American military thing. So in this That's future right. in this future setting, do you have um, anything with uh, like the in the past New Zealand and Australia where had Anzac where they work together? Do you bring that back into this world or does New Zealand stand alone? Um, no, uh, what I'm going to be doing is that eventually, uh, they're going to each country is for the first maybe year, just doing their own thing, trying to figure out what's going on because, um, the aliens managed to, uh, shoot down some of the satellites, not all of them. So. You got satellite communication that is a bit sketchy. You got internet that's a bit sketchy. So, um, and some areas are have gone completely dark. Like for example, uh, Europe, uh, like Central Europe, will go dark. France will go dark. Um, America, America will, well, be semi-dark. Parts of it will go dark, and other parts will be very much um, in communication. What's uh, called dim? <laughs> <laughs> but um, eventually what will happen is that um, I'm going to introduce uh, like currently, you know how in the, the, the American military has got Pacific Command, European Command, Atlantic Command and things like that? Right. So I'm going to borrow that. So, for example, New Zealand, Australia, Oceania, the US will form a Pacific Command, which will be like uh, my version of NATO or ANZUS, but more regional. And then there'll be like a China Command, there'll be a European Command, and which is like a military alliances that would form into confederate blocks so down the line um that is if I'm, not, if, if I'm fortunate enough i can um once we kick the aliens out then there will be humanity jockeying into position who who will reclaim the solar system you know will it be the chinese will it be the pacific will it be the europeans or will it be um somebody else so what level of technology, obviously you mentioned mechs um, we had, but what's the level of technology for the military on Earth side before the aliens show up? Uh, think of today, um, but, to, but for the year 2039. So I'm going, I'm, I'm also going to just bring some extra toys like um, the New Zealand will have, uh, the ground effect vehicles, uh, which I thought would be quite cool. 
for New Zealand. So um, I, I want to introduce a an aircraft carrier that is twice this, the length of the Nimitz class as well, which will be um, will be converted in, into a big ass spaceship, you know, in homage to the battleship Yamamoto uh, series. Um, yeah, it's more, more or less of the same uh, and uh, just a little bit more scaled down. So there'll be a lot of um, big, big ships, but small numbers because a lot of it will be automated. So at some, it does. So at some point in time, do you tend to intend to take humanity to the stars, or is yes. it going to stay? Okay. Yep. Um, what, what I'd love to do is, uh, I was initially thinking um, of just simply setting it all in our solar system for the next maybe hundred years or so, maybe, or maybe less, or maybe incorporate others. Like, because um, I've got a alien group. Uh, faction that basically is instead of just rushing to earth like everybody else of their peers that just uh, settle around Europa and that start mining the moons and the asteroids and basically create their own little a new nation state so there'll be a bit of a conflict between humanity and them or, or the sort of uh, the relationship of how do do we share the solar system with these aliens or do we kick their ass or are we going to have a cold war or what so choices okay very human yeah so how did you go about creating your aliens so they had their own distinct culture um i threw in a lot of historical examples um my my aliens who i'm i'm calling sabers because of their saber teeth um but they are known as the kaha asi they are a um they started off as a military fleet and they basically degenerated to medieval european levels of um you know, the, no, the officer, the officer corps will be the nobility. Uh, you got then you got your yeoman, you got your freemen, and things like that. Uh, then you've got your um, your shaman, who are basically your engineers, your scientists, and things like that. So basically, your your commanders are a bunch of idiots and um, illiterates, and and yet your your scientists, your religious caste are very educated. So it's sort of like medieval Europe. So it's a combination of that, Japanese culture, um, and the Mongolians, just in alien form. Sounds okay. cool to me. So you told us about Hardy, the, the main character. Um, were there any other um, POVs that we get to see, see the story through? So do we get to see it through the alien's eyes or is it all human-centric? Um, 
in this particular book, it's all human-centric for now, but you will encounter the likes of um, uh, Inspector Sarah Morgan, who gets roped into uh, doing a suicide mission to uh, to Ohakia Air Base. And um, so you kind of get to see her perspective a little bit. She used to be a um, part of the special tactics group for the police. And so with most of the special air service destroyed and wiped out in the first 48 hours of the alien invasion, uh, the New Zealand military basically has to make do with anyone who basically knows how to shoot a gun and has got some special forces training, like the police, will be thrown into um, into the mix. You'll also, um, there'll be a guy called uh, Greg Wilson who will uh, appear in another book later on who basically manages to survive. There will be, um, you'll, briefly be introduced to the overall American commander of the program that has prepared humanity covertly for 20 years uh, as well. You will get to see, hmm, there's a few characters who unfortunately don't make it. So are you a fan of the movie Red Dawn? Because I'm getting some definitely Red Dawn in New Zealand vibes with how you organized the resistance. Yeah. Um, there's some vibes of that. There's definitely... Um, my vibes are more around computer games. Okay. So um, if you're like a fan of XCOM, for example, that's got that sort of wee vibe to it or command and uh, conquer sort of thing. Bit of alien. Bit of this, okay. bit of that. So you've obviously written book two uh, mm -hmm. and you've talked in the pre-show that you had book four written, but you were working on book three. So yes. where do you see this arc with Harvey ending? You said you implied there might be more arcs with other characters, but the Harvey story. Where do you see that um, ending? Well, I see Harvey. I would love to see Harvey just survive the whole thing um, and make cameos down the line. Um, whether he will be a military commander, you know, like or general or whatever, um, he he will survive this war. Um, but um, as for it depends entirely in which direction I go as well, but uh, at least for the next five books, he's very much going to be at the forefront. And um, But I definitely see him eventually go from being inside the cockpit of um, powered armor to being in command of his own ships, you know, um, his own ground effect vehicles or even his own spaceship flying around and leading the good fight. So you said you're inspired by video games. Yes. Uh, what what um, 
powered armor was what was your inspiration for the powered armor uh initially it was the um the big hulking thing from alien you know the the one where um ripley is in that uh throws the queen has that fight scene in the powered armor forklift yeah the, the powered yeah. lower power loader yeah that's the one and i thought that would be so cool and so that's how it started then and then then i realized it was getting a little bit too cumbersome so uh then i started uh, uh i'm a big fan of uh uh there's a series called the jovian wars which is um uh like a role-playing tabletop game and i have these uh exoskeleton powered armor things that can fly and be on the ground and things like that and that weren't big big things so and i said oh yeah this would be cool so um kind of modeled that and also uh you know avatar the james cameron ones uh where they have these powered armor uh things so i liked that idea of uh essentially in my head it looked like a like a like a cobra helicopter with legs oh okay so, yeah so that's how it's that's how it visualized in my head but with only one pilot but uh so that's how it started in my head and then i started looking for examples so growing up as a go ahead nick big fan of yeah growing up as a big fan of robotech and and mechs because uh, mm -hmm. didn't really see that much in american television but you see a lot of it in japanese anime so i started yeah. really getting into those um and then transformers like their design could easily be mechs i mean there are mechs but like human driven mechs um yeah, so the idea of like a battle armor, battle suit was pretty cool, especially I think it was like season three of Robotech where they start, they didn't have the, uh, they used to look like F-14 Tomcats that turned into people mm -hmm. or like humanoid looking things, but they started going towards like, there, it was a motorcycle they would drive and then it would, the motorcycle would break apart and then add on to their power armor. Mm -hmm. So I thought those things were really cool. So I'm a big fan of, of mechs and how people, um, you know, create them and describe them on either the screen or in, in literature. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked to, to see how it, how the sausage is made in the book, you know, with this in regards to the, uh, the power armor. Yep. I do have a, um, I want to introduce a powered armor that I call the bumblebee. <laughs> the bumblebee, I love it. Yes, the bumblebee. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to introduce that. It'll be a two seater. Um, but I just need to find a place. It's already designed and everything. I just need to find a good story for it. So, um, I feel it'll be quite cool to actually have two character, you know, two pilots, um, do the whole Top Gun like thing where. You've got your Maverick and you've got your Goose rather than, you know, and your Kowalski, but in popular armor. That would be cool. It's definitely giving me Jaeger versus Kaiju vibes. You're muted. 
I know. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. You can hear. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kaiju and Geiger. Yes. Yes. Um, great movies. Um, I, I think the only thing that I borrowed from that would be the idea of this regionalized pact of nations that are fighting the good fight, you know? Um, so it's like a faction. And because I, initially I thought it would be co quite cool to go with a united planet thing. And, um, but then I realized for what I want, um, it'll be better, cooler, and more intrigue and more possibilities when I have humans fighting each other across the solar system and a bunch of aliens as well. So, because um, oh, yeah. uh, I might reintroduce the um, Aztec Empire who worship the, the sabers. Mm -hmm. Or an yeah. or, or a re revitalized Egypt who worship big cats that eat them. I don't know. So many possibilities. You have that to put in the blood for the go. blood god then. That's probably trademarked by somebody, but I'm just blood for the blood god. Could be the Aztecs. Mm. I think that's a Warhammer line though, isn't it, Nick? He says yes. His, uh, his computer still hates him. We did an interview about aliens and he thinks the government was on to him because suddenly when we started talking about secret government organizations, his computer went wonky. We're not saying they're spying on him, but we're not not saying it either. <laughs> so, it's been driving uh, me nuts. With the tactics that you created for your mech suits, is it more solo hunter-killer type style? Are they operating in packs? Um, like, what, what did you envision for the way they fight with these, these machines? Um, imagine a fighter squadron. And so they would operate in, you know, wingman formations. Um, so I've got, so my, uh, my squadron is split into elements of four, uh, like a flight of four or a troop. So they would operate, you have a troop commander and then three others around them. And then they can also split up into, 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 two-unit formations. Okay. Holy garbage. Marissa, this is this is all your fault. Did we ask him the religion question? I, I don't think, think we did. Holy we garbage. Ask. We were about to wrap this show up because we learned all about this cool world and we got to go buy the book. And I'm like, we can't even kick him if he gets it wrong because the interview's over. I know. This is what happens when the government spies on your computer. See, yeah. see where it happens? All right, sir. We couldn't be the Blasters and Blaze podcast if we didn't ask you the religion question. So are you ready for this, sir? Sure. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Uh, how about all of them? That is an acceptable answer. Uh, and then because we are polytheistic, Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Lord of the Rings? Well... Uh, I'm going to be a good Kiwi, and I'm going to go Lord of the Rings. All right, that is that is an acceptable answer from your nationality. So um, we will go there, and it's kind of the OG of uh, of fantasy. So that that gets you bonus points. Um, 
We actually, had, yeah. Do you have to have a special license to go hobbit hunting in New Zealand, or they just let you do that as a national treasure? <laughs> uh, hobbits are treasured, treasured people. Okay, okay. People, I, I mean. The last question, you always forget, JR. Bonus question coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee, definitely. I live on coffee. How do you drink it? Oh, I drink it. If um, if I could, I could have um, have it as an IV. You know, you know. I mean, like, do you take it with tea, or we don't need to tea? Do you take it with sugar, with cream, black. With flavor, black, black? I, I'm, black like I'm told. Oh, you beat me to it, Peter. What did he say? I said black like my soul. Ah, okay, yeah. I hear that from Nick all the time. So, you know, black. We, we, we drink our stuff. We're hardy men, hardy folks. <laughs> I'm told when I grow up, I'll drink it black. But for now, I like it frou-frou with all my cream and sugar. And sometimes, Stabby and I like to go all basic, bitch, and we drink the pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> All right, so uh, assuming, obviously, that you could fix your uh, your addiction to your wheelchair, uh, if you could live in this world, would you would you strap in the mech suit and fight the saber tooth? Oh hell yeah, um, definitely. Not only the uh, the powered armor, but dude, I would also love to take one of those um, ground effect vehicles for a spin as well. So uh, I'm going to have a lot of. Uh, Wonderful little techs, you know, technology that's going on. Uh, I'm going to have spaceships coming up. And um, so, like, the American point of the story, uh, I'm going to introduce the spacecraft development group that, okay. um, that started off as part of Space Command. So there'll be a lot of toys. So if, if, if ever if ever have the opportunity of having the uh, merchandise, yeah, it'll be toys. So I'm envisioning. Have you seen um, Have you seen Fifth Element? Yes. In the beginning scene where Bruce Willis is driving the taxi, yes. that's how Nick drives for real. So I uh, the world might not be safe if we let him into one of those mechs. That's it gets okay. worse as I get older. So Nick, okay. I mean. How <laughs> so, Nick, how long would it take before you buzz the tower? I'm just asking. Oh, within the first 45 seconds, probably. Power <laughs> man. Uh, all right, all right. So, boom. So, do you have a, a estimated publication date for book two yet? Um, not yet. Uh, it's still in. Hill Billy's hands. So okay, so it's with the editor. So I got it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Come on, Hill Billy, so, chopped up. <laughs> no peer pressure or anything. Was there anything that we didn't ask you about this world that you wanted to tell us before we wrap it up? I felt like we dove in pretty deep, but I think it's um I think it's a very cool setup. It's different. It's but still got all of the wonderful tropes that you know you would expect in any military sci-fi especially one with max um i just hope that people will enjoy it and uh if people get a little bit confused about the whole uh 
rank system because I follow the New Zealand military ranks, especially with the Royal Air Force, uh, Royal New Zealand Air Force. Um, I, I do have a section in the book explaining the ranks, so hopefully that would um, not make things too complicated. But if if people want me to simplify things, just let me know and uh, I'll take it under advisement. I actually like that you didn't make it American centric because, you know, when you lived it for years and you read about it all the time, it's always fun to see a different perspective. So no, I think, I think readers are going to dig that. It's not same old, same old. So since it's not uh, American centric, then the question is which part of your country did you have the most fun blowing up? Auckland. Auckland. Is there a reason? Oh yeah. Um, See, here in New Zealand, um, Auckland is like the biggest city. And um, basically everybody else complains that uh, New Zealand begins and ends with Auckland. So I solved that problem by blowing it up. That, that's there valid. You go. I think there you go. Americans would also feel good blowing up Oakland. Just mm. on the other side. No, not Oakland. Auckland. Auckland is for him. Auckland. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, we already blew Oakland up ourselves. Yeah, we, blew Oakland. we blew Oakland up already. We didn't even need an alien invasion. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the, before before we let you go, this is an important question because, you know, I, I'm a sports guy. Did the, all, the uh, New Zealand All Blacks survive? Definitely. All right. And are they performing their haka as they taunt the aliens? Ah, well, you'll just have to see that in one of the books. Now, now you have to add a scene to like book four where they do it in their mech suit. The mech dances the, the haka in front of the enemy. I, I want to reintroduce the uh, 28th Maori Battalion. Nice, um, nice. So I, I uh, the thing that I'm doing with my well, my thing is that I'm going back in history and I'm looking at wonderful examples that we've had, you know, with the New Zealand history during World War One, World War Two, and the like. So um, it's I want to, re, I guess, highlight New Zealand military history through this series as much as I can. So, yeah. Okay. That is a uh, historic unit. It was, um, I think it was started during World War One, wasn't it? If I'm remembering uh, a brief foyer in the military in the national history. There was a Maori pioneer battalion um, during World War One. Yes. Okay. Um, so now that we've got, you know, the, the information on the book, we'll link to it in the show notes. So if you're interested and why wouldn't you be, this sounds like it's pretty awesome. Um, is it available? It's an ebook clearly, but is it available in audiobook for those that want to listen? Um, soon, I believe uh, there, there, there is talk of um, making an audiobook. Uh, right now we're just uh, trying to f- find the right person for the, who can pronounce some of them Maori words. Okay. So does the, uh, does the Maori and the, well, the New Zealand in general, I guess, do you guys use lieutenant or do you say it as lieutenant? We say it as a lieutenant. Okay, so they say, say that. Lieutenant. Well, you got it right the first time. Those, those wacky Brits, they, they say things weirdly. We, we're not I don't know. I kind of like lieutenant. 
we're, we're not the Brits. We're not the Brits. Actually, the New Zealand military has actually um, gone more towards the American side of things, especially with the Navy. We don't have, we, we have a, like, uh, we start off with an ensign and then go to a sub-lieutenant and then lieutenant um, in the Navy, while the Australians would go assistant, sub-lieutenant, sub-lieutenant, whatever. So we actually, so because I did escort missions in Iraq, we worked with a lot of foreign nationals. So we actually worked with some, some Kiwis while we were over there. Um, so it was, it was always an interesting experience dealing with them. Um, we had this one time, so like there's no standardization in the Iraqi infrastructure. So when we were backing up our 18 wheelers that we were escorting, we'd back them up against the loading ramp. The loading ramp didn't meet international standards. So there was a drop off of about like three feet. And so yeah. we're trying to figure out how we can rig a ramp to link the two. And we had this Kiwi that was running the yards, former um, military police for you guys. He's like, oh, no problem, mate. He gets in, not even looks, floors it in reverse, and just jumps the three foot. And he's like, that's how it's done. And then you just laugh the whole way. I'm like, you are insane, sir. Kiwis, Kiwis are very versatile. And, you know, we, <laughs> we, we have this uh, thing called the um, – the number eight wire mentality. We just we'll all we will always find a solution. So, and that's why I figured, you know, if I will base the this story in New Zealand, the military will survive. I mean, I, I know that New Zealand military isn't that big, but dude, we will survive. We'll kick ass, and um, humanity will be great again. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. So was there uh, anything we didn't ask that you uh, wanted to tell us before we wrap this up? No, I think that's it. All right. So if they wanted to stalk you, I mean, follow you on the wild, wild interwebs, how can they do that? And as usual, links in the show notes. Um, they can find me on Facebook. They can find me on Twitter. Um, those yes, the, for now I've also got a website which I'm in the process of uh, rebuilding, and um, might reintroduce my blog. But uh, at this moment, uh, the best way to get a hold of me would be through Facebook and Twitter. All right, and this is the part where we remind you, dear listener, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books, and it's very important with debut authors. So show the man some love, check his book out, give it as many stars as you can stomach, and then add a few more for just because and rock on. His links will be in the show notes, and you can find us on our link tree at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, link tree backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, link tree backslash blasters and blades podcast we link to all the things our bit shoot our rumble our twitter uh we're adding madam stabby stabs instagram and twitter in there as well so you can send her all the hate mail she loves to read it she will snark back and she might threaten to stab you but you asked for it people and it's your fault if it happens uh she cannot be held responsible for any shenanigans you instigate uh, i believe that Fire was the beware. right nick it's, it's on them if they start the fight 
So uh, with that being said, uh, you can also find us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at for serious inquiries only because now you can send the hate mail to Stabby at blastersandblazepodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandblazepodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen. It's Facebook backslash groups backslash blastersandblazepodcast. Uh, we share the episodes there. And if you ever want to ask the authors or the guests questions, comment on the episode. That's a great place to do it. Uh, if you don't want to do it in the comment section of the individual hosting platforms, we have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. These episodes aren't free to produce, or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast and i will keep my co-hosts doc saska and nick garber and madam stabby duly caffeinated they will drink until the java pours out of their eyes <laughs> that's right we need more of it for that uh and we had a recent um, offer today from a guest of the show and friend of the show, Mr. Rick Shaw. He's going to help us host the proper website, like grownups and stuff, Nick. How's that going to be? I don't know no. what we're going to do. Look at all professional and shit. I don't know, man. Seems like a lot of responsibility to be adult-like. I don't know. Like, we, we might have to – we'll have to have meetings that involve copious fluids of the alcoholic um, cleansing variety because we're going to cleanse our liver as we think this through, right? You mean an intervention? <laughs> Yeah, that was last Tuesday. We're starting all over again. All right. All thank right. you for <laughs> thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. We appreciate you coming on, Peter. This was a lot of fun, and we'll have to have you back. All right. Maybe we'll uh, we'll get you on to talk about all things speculative fiction in New Zealand, because uh, I imagine your stories that are local to you are going to be a little different than what we're used to. Yeah, probably, you know, um, that'd be a fun episode. It would be. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day, sir. Thank you for coming on. Thank you.